Amen. Welcome to Central Baptist Church. Let's all stand together, please. Take your hymnal. You're going to be turning to page number 137. We're going to join in with the choir, Joy to the World, The Lord is Born. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him through. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven, heaven, nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let He rules the world. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations through the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders and wonders of his love. Let's turn back to 486. In number 486, we'll sing the first and last, excuse me, first and second verses of Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shining upon the sun, giving a light for those who long have gone, and guiding the wise men on their way into the place. The star of Bethlehem shine on. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shining upon until the glory dawn. Oh, give us thy light to light the way into the land of perfect day. Beautiful star of Bethlehem.
and sinners reconciled. That's the, that's the whole purpose of Christmas. That's the whole purpose of the church. Good to see you. Let's all stand together, please. Shake hands with those around you while our choir is dismissing. Ciao.
Right. If you are visiting with us here at Central Baptist Church for the first time, I'd like you to raise your hand nice and high, please. Any first-time visitors? Okay. Good to see each of you this morning. I do have a number of announcements. Uh, this coming Thursday, December 8th, will be the Sisters of Grace Christmas Party here at the church. It's Ladies Fellowship. That's going to be at 6 o'clock. Uh, be in the fellowship hall there. It says, please bring a savory holiday dish and a gift exchange uh, not to exceed $25. And then uh, Friday night, this Friday evening, will be uh, December 9th, Staff and Deacons Fellowship with Pastor and Ms. Wiggins at 5.30. So please be in your places for that. Uh, this evening and next Sunday evening, will be there will be a presentation by the teens, um, a Christmas presentation. You won't want to miss that. And then on the 18th, uh, Sunday a.m. and p.m. we'll be having a Christmas program. Good to see you this morning. Please take your hymn book out and turn to hymn number 138. Hymn number 138, please stand and join me in singing all three verses of O Come, All Ye Faithful. O Come, All Ye Faithful, Good and strong, and then we'll sing the chorus a cappella. Here we go. Yay, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory Another announcement for our seniors, senior citizens, they, uh, they'll be taking a trip to 
Amish village in Sarasota on December 22nd. So uh, seniors keep that in mind. Also tonight after the evening service, we'll be having our annual election of officers. And also I wanna meet with the deacons at five o'clock in my office, five o'clock this afternoon. Uh, I know this is a short notice about the deacon staff Christmas fellowship, but I, I was planning for it for the 16th, but then I found out that that uh, there's other things going on and they wouldn't be able to do it. So I had to change it to this coming Friday. But you don't have to bring anything, deacons and staff. Uh, we will furnish everything. So all you got to do is be here at 5.30 Friday evening. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the offering on our service today. Uh, pray for those that are sick and those that are traveling. Brother Puckett, would you lead us in prayer?
Open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 10, the book of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, let's begin reading in verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. And the reason uh, the Lord answered him that way is he 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 said he had called, he didn't refer to him as Lord <clears throat> he called him good master. <clears throat> you will notice that uh, good master is capitalized G and M capitalized. The 
Now, what that uh, what uh, Bible scholars tell us the reason for that is because this was an order. It was kind of like you'll have preachers fellowships. You know, pre uh, in the labor force you'll have unions and all, and so they'll there'll be uh, different names, different um, titles for different ones, and and so. Uh, <clears throat> That this indicates that this this man was also a ruler. Now I know it doesn't doesn't call him that. It 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 just um, just as a young man, <clears throat> he ran and and but but in, as you read on, you'll find out here that he was rich, and you also because of this reference here to this order or, or whatever it would have been. Um, that's why he's called a rich young ruler because it's not, he's not called that in the Bible, but Bible scholars have given him that, that title. So every, everybody here, you've, you've heard the story of the rich young ruler at some time or another if you've been in, a church, in church at all. <clears throat> and so because he didn't, he didn't refer to him as Lord, as a Lord, Jesus said, why do you, you, know, you don't recognize me as Lord, so why do you call me good? Uh, there's none good but one, that is God. <clears throat> of course, he is God. Jesus is God. Verse 19, thou knowest the commandments, do not, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, <clears throat> honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said to them, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. <clears throat> and he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. <clears throat> now, there were some good things about this rich young ruler, things that he did. He was, he was young, a bright, intelligent man. <clears throat> and there are at least four tremendously significant, noble, worthwhile things that this young man did. I want you to notice, uh, first of all, he came to Jesus when a person ought to come to Jesus. One ought to come to Jesus as soon as he knows and understands that he's a sinner, that he needs to be saved. The rich young ruler came to him not only because he came to realize that he was a sinner, he came as a young person. The finest thing for a person to do is come to Christ at the earliest possible moment. Once a person understands that he or she is in sin, they have rebelled against God, knows right from wrong, and knows that there's no hope in the world other than in the Lord Jesus Christ, then they should come to Christ, no matter what the age. <clears throat> my, um, my children were all saved at an early age. Uh, my daughter, Gina, saved five years. We were in Bible college at the time. She was saved five years of age. Uh, both the boys, of course, boys are not quite as bright as girls, so they were seven years old, uh, but both of them saved at seven. 
<clears throat> and um, but but they because they were raised in a Christian home, been in Sunday school and church all their life, been taught taught in the home. Uh, they came to realize that they did need to be saved at an early age. That's good. Parents parents ought to teach their children uh, to that they need to be saved. And and I I think the greatest thing that can happen in a family is for mom and dad to lead the children to the Lord. <clears throat> this rich young ruler, he did a great thing by coming to Jesus when he was young. I remember reading uh, of D.L. Moody, where he's asked in a meeting that he was conducting, asked how many that he had saved the night before, and he said, well, we had two and a half. And he said, you mean that you had two adults and a child? He said, no, I meant... We had two children and an adult. Because the two children, that means, I call, I, I call them two because that means their life is saved now as well as their soul. And their life, a life, a life that's worthwhile, a life that, uh, of fulfillment and happiness and joy, is a life that's filled, there's love, that's uh, lived for the Lord. He uh, he went on to say that the one that the adult would say was seventy years old, and the children one was a there was a nine year old boy, and a seven year old girl. Sometimes in revival meetings or vacation Bible school or uh, things like that, where a lot of children are saved, uh, people would say, "Well, you know, uh, are you sure they knew what they were doing? Are you sure that they?" Are really saved. Uh, we don't. We don't know. We can't read their heart. But neither do I know whether you're saved or not. That's something that only God knows. And if you're saved, you know. But uh, I, I think that uh, you know, that mentioned that seventy-year-old man coming to Christ and nine-year-old boy and and um, I, I say to myself, what's so great about wasting sixty-nine years of your life? What's so great about living most of your life for the devil? What's so great about giving the devil the years of your life when, when your eyes were bright and, and your hearing was well and, and you were young and exciting and vigorous? Why give the devil all those good, noble, upright years when you're healthy and then come to Jesus as a fire escape? Brother, the best time to come to Jesus is nine years of age, not 70, or seven years of age, or five years of age. Don't, don't waste your life. Someone said to D.L. Moody one time, said, I don't like the way you win people to Christ. And he said, well, I, you know, I, I accept any help that, that you can give. How do you win people to Christ? Well, I never have won anybody. He said, well, I like my way better than yours. Yeah. Amen. We put a lot of emphasis on Children here, a lot of, and children being saved here. We don't coerce, but when a child comes to you, he realizes that he needs to be saved. Then you need to deal with him. You need to lead him to the Lord, and uh, because that what what our country needs is more young people that love the Lord and live for the Lord. We're our our young people are not being taught in school unless they're in homeschool or. Christian school, they're not being taught 
anything about the Lord Jesus or about God or about the Bible or prayer or anything like that. In fact, our Supreme Court has made it against the law for that to be taught. So, so we need, parents need, and our churches, we need, we need to stress, need to emphasize that children need to be saved. They need to be saved. You know, young people that often say, well, you know, I don't want to be a Christian. Uh, I don't want to get, get, you know, get saved now because I've I got all these exciting things I want to do. And, you know, I, I just want to, you know, I want to sow my wild oats. And, and uh, then after, you know, after I get old, then, you know, then I'll get saved. And, and you know, I, I remember back when I was in high school, and I, I was not a Christian at that time. But I remember people would, uh, would there was, you know, if there was a person that was a Christian and they, you know, they lived that kind of life, the Christian life, uh, people would make fun of them. You know, the boys and girls would make fun of them. And, and they'd, they'd say, you've got to be a sissy to be a Christian. You've got to be a sissy to be a Christian. Well, don't ever believe that, young people. Some of the greatest athletes who've ever lived have been men that loved God and were committed to Jesus Christ. Roger Staubach was a great Christian. Paul Anderson, at one time called the strongest man in the world. He was a great Christian. Uh, Billy Graham would take him on his crusades and, and uh, there he would demonstrate his strength by lifting a platform with nine Baptist preachers on it. Now, that meant that all those Baptist preachers were overweight because Baptist preachers loved fried chicken. And so you can imagine how much weight that was that he had on his back when he lifted all those preachers. If the strong, and he would say, he would give, give his testimony then at those, in those crusades, and he'd say, if the strongest man in the world needs Jesus Christ, then so do you. Don't ever... Say it takes a sissy to be a Christian. It takes a man. Even people who do not claim Jesus as Lord say that undoubtedly Jesus Christ is the greatest man who ever lived. Now, if that's so, then the more a person is like Jesus, the more of a man he is. Uh, manliness is not your muscles. It's, it's, it's more to do with character. So to whatever degree that you're not like Jesus Christ, then that's how much you fall short of what a man ought to be because Jesus is the ultimate man. He's the pattern, the example. And to whatever extent we don't measure up to him, we're that much not a man. Years ago, I was in a, in a meeting and there, there was a man there uh, gave his testimony. His name was Max Palmer. And at that time, he was listed as the tallest man in the world. And he had, he had been a professional wrestler. I thought for a long time that, that he was the one that was called uh, Andre the Giant. But then I found out that was somebody else. But, in, but anyway, he had been a professional wrestler. He uh, tall. He, there was not an ounce of fat on his body, but he weighed over 400 pounds because of his size. His shoes looked like canoes. They were so big and... And when um, I heard his testimony, he gave his testimony there. So I, I asked him, I said, would you come to our church? I'd like for you to give your testimony in front of our people, you know, to our people in our church. And so, so he did. And, uh, and had a great testimony of what, 
what the Lord had done for him. He'd, he'd lived a rough life, been a rough life. Those, uh, those wrestlers, boy, they, you know, they, most of them anyway, they're, they're, they're rough people, drinking and carousing, all kind of, all kind of stuff. But they were, when he's there with us, and I was almost embarrassed to stand beside him because I, when I, when I was standing beside him, if I turned to look toward him, I was looking right straight into his belt buckle. He had a belt buckle. He had a belt on a belt that uh, a buckle probably weighed more than I did. But there's no way that I would have said to Max Palmer, "You got to be a sissy to be a Christian." This rich young ruler came when a person ought to come. He came when he was young. I've had people to say to me, I wasted my young years, the young years of my life, and, and I'd give anything if I'd given those years to Christ. The time to come to Jesus is the time when a person is young with the best years ahead of and not behind. Why give the devil who hates you the best years of your lives and give God those little leftover years somewhere in the future? <clears throat> Some want to sow wild oats and then pray for a crop failure. Those wild seeds that are sown are going to take their toll upon that person and leave their mark. Years ago, I was watching a newsreel of young boys marching in Moscow Square. There were thousands of them. They had uniforms on much like our Boy Scouts with the red bandanas around their necks. They were uh, they were boys about 12, 13, 14 years of age. <clears throat> and, and as they were marching, they were, they were chanting, we will live, we will fight, we will die for our country. Young boys, but they were, they were willing to die for the Communist Party. Hitler understood that. Communism's understood it. To win the minds of the young is to have the generations that are to come. That is why the socialists have taken over our schools, our public schools. They've taken over the, the, uh, all of the government venues. They've taken over everything. They've taken over the entertainment industry. They've taken over the sports industry, which is really entertainment. They've taken over the educational industry. They've taken over uh, everything where there's any anything to do with young people, they've taken over their and they're teaching our young people to be socialists, to not love their country, to not love their parents, to not love God, to not love church. In surveys that are taken among young people now, uh, the the percentage of young people that say that religion has any effect on their lives or any impact, it's a low percentage. It's in the teens. The percentage is in the teens. And that's all the way down from years ago, back when I was a young person. The majority of the young people felt that religion, that church, Christianity had an impact on, on their lives. The, the public school system now has become so rotten that they're not, they're, because the Supreme Court took Bible reading and prayer out of the schools and you cannot make mention of Jesus. K-12 
can't have a nativity scene. In fact, you can't have anything that makes reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't, we don't forget our older folks here. We don't forget our uh, middle-aged people here. But the greatest time to come to Jesus is in youth, when you're a young person. If you've already wasted years, don't waste one more day. Don't waste one more night. You'll never be any younger than you are now. So the rich young ruler, he came when he should have. The rich young ruler came the way he should have come. The way he came to Jesus is in the right attitude, right spirit. The Bible says the rich young ruler came running and knelt down. And looking up, he said, good master. He had never called anyone good master before, for he, he was a master. He was ruler. He knew there, though, that Jesus had something that no one else could give. And the rich young ruler did a good thing when he came to Jesus saying, Master, the running, the kneeling, and the looking up indicate that he was humble. And when you, when you come to Christ, you must come in humility. A pride person will never be saved, a proud person. Pride is the arch enemy of God. It is pride. Pride is at the root of all other sin. Pride was what caused Lucifer to rebel against God and become the devil. You know, we, we need to realize today we're, we are, without Christ, we are a worthless people. We are a worthless people. We We have no, no value without Christ. There, God made us to, or made man to fellowship with himself, to love him. And, and if you do not love the Lord, if you're not saved, if you're not fellowship with him, then you're not fulfilling the purpose for which you were made. We're people, we're people, you know, a person without Christ, it's, his life is a vacuum. No hope, sinners. What, what man has to offer God is nothing compared to what God has to offer man. You know, we, we Americans especially, we get so cocky because we live in an affluent society. Most of us have good homes, nice homes, good automobiles. We wear good clothes. When a preacher goes to a third world country and preaches, I'm told that people will flood down the aisles to be saved. Don't have a penny in their pockets. They're not leaning upon their riches. They know they don't have any hope in the world. And unless America becomes humble, God will make us poor again. God can bring us to our knees and the only way we're going to come to Christ is to get a little more humble than we are now. We have to be broken. The Bible says that God, God desires a broken and contrite spirit. Brother Bogus uh, has made several trips to the Philippines to 
to do mission work there, especially in the schools there, speaking, giving uh, testimony and all that. Brother Bogus told me one time, he said, you know, it's a, it's a joy. It's a joy to go there. He said, uh, you, can, you can have a handful of tracks. I might not tell exactly like you told it, Randy, but uh, you can have a handful of tracks and said people are just eager, eager to take them. You pass out New Testament, they're just eager to get a New Testament. Uh, when they they go into the schools and 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 speak, give give testimony, uh, it is not it is not uncommon that that every person in that classroom will get saved. In that, people are eager. You see, in America, we've become gospel hardened. You have you can turn on the radio and and. And you can find all kinds of stations where there's preaching, television, not so much television, but uh, radio anyway. It's kind of hard really to find a good preaching service on television. But um, churches everywhere, uh, preachers, preachers, multitudes of preachers in America. <clears throat> so the gospel. The gospel is prevalent, but uh, we we here in America we've become gospel hardened. <clears throat> but God can bring us to our knees. We need to come to the Lord and fall on our faces before God and say, "God, I'm nothing but a worthless sinner. I need to know you as my Savior." We have to come that way. Years ago, I was preaching at a church in Topeka, Kansas. They were having, having a revival meeting there, and uh, there was a farmer. Well, a lot of, a lot of the people there in, in Kansas are farmers. Uh, wheat fields, you can, you can drive for miles, and wheat fields everywhere. And so a uh, farmer was in the church there. Uh, the pastor and I had been to his home for, for lunch. <clears throat> um, we, we used to call that dinner. And then the evening meal was supper. Now they've changed it around. It's lunch now is at noon and dinner is at supper time. I'm just an old country boy. I still call it supper. Come to supper time. Not, now if you, you know, if, if you want to have me over for dinner, I'll come. But that's okay. But uh, this fella, he, this farmer, he had, had us over for the noon meal, and so uh, he said, "He said uh, I'd like to take you preachers out and show you my farm, you know, my wheat fields." And so we, you know, we were riding along out there, and and he said, uh, "Now you see, you see the wheat there, the 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 kernels, they're they're bending over, they're bending over, they're full, they're heavy, they're building over, bending over." He said that that wheat that's sticking straight up. It's not bending over. It's sticking straight up. He said the reason it's sticking straight up tall and straight is because the head is not heavy. The, the kernel, the head. They, they call it the head. The head is not heavy. It's empty. And that that's bent over, that's that that's full. The head is full. It's not empty. You know in the Christian life, those that hold their heads the tallest and Strut around, strut around like a painted peacock. They're often those that 
have the least chance of ever knowing anything about the kingdom of God. When we find a person who has a full head and full heart, we'll find him bent over with the knowledge and the fact that he's worthless apart from God. I am nothing without Christ, and same for you. We're nothing without the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see, when you see a, a person that is humble, I mean, humility is just exuding from his presence. Then you'll see somebody that they place their heart into, into, into the Lord. They put their faith and trust in the Lord, and they know that without Jesus, they're nothing. There's hope for that kind of a person. If we're, hard, if we're cocky, it's very hard to come to Jesus. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1 says, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Of all the people he had gone to, the rich young ruler came to Jesus. Now, I'm sure because he was a rich young ruler, he had, I'm sure he had a lot of political friends that could have advised him. He probably knew some investors or, or some of the boys down at the, at the club. Instead, he came to the right person. He came to Jesus. You know, some have tried to find all kinds of substitutes for Jesus. Some say, I'll, I'll find my kicks in alcohol. I've lost relatives because of alcohol. My dad, because of alcohol. We had a man in our church when I pastored in Tennessee. He, he taught uh, referees, people that were going to be professional referees. He taught them. He had a training school and uh, primarily for basketball, referees for basketball. And uh, he told me, he said, you know that the biggest uh, detriment uh, to, to, to these men, these young men, to them uh, uh, learning, you know, how, how to referee a game and being successful. Do you know the biggest detriment of that? I said, no, don't. He said, alcohol. I said, well, why is that? Why, what has that got to do with a person learning, you know, to be uh, and, and being a success at being a referee? He said, well, it's like this. Normally in a, in a high school, and most, most of these guys were, were being trained to referee for college or high school. He said, most, most of the time, you're going to have two men, two, two referees. I don't know if professionals, they have more or not. <clears throat> but he said, you have two referees. I don't watch NBA because I, it's got to the place to where you got just a bunch of thugs playing basketball and anybody that will not pledge allegiance to the flag and bow for the national anthem I don't want anything to do with them so I'm not going to waste my time watching NBA games or and and even I'm, I'm kind of softening up a little bit because the Dolphins are better this year they've been now in the last 15 or 20 years that used to be my favorite team uh, and so now you know I'm kind of wondering Maybe I ought to start watching again because I like a winner. 
I like a winner. I don't want to watch a bunch of losers. I, I like winners. But uh, anyway, you got me off track here. He said, uh, he said what, what happens is there's a lot of pressure. You cannot imagine the amount of pressure that, that is on these referees because it's such a fast-paced game. And, and uh, you, only, you, you only got two referees running up down the floor all the time. And the, uh, and, and, and the players are all, you know, and they're fighting for the ball and they're, you know, sl slinging elbows and all kind of stuff. Said, so what, what these men will do to compensate for all this, they'll, they'll, take a half, they'll take a half a pint of whiskey. And just before the game, they'll drink half of that. They're, because they they think that you know helps to relieve the pressure that that they feel, and then at halftime they'll drink the rest of it. And he said, so what what happens is that that it's not long until they're an alcoholic. And he said, uh, and so you you would never believe it. And I could tell when I asked you if you knew what the greatest detriment to their success was with you. And when I said alcohol, you you looked at me. Surprised? I said, yes, I was surprised. I didn't know that. But you see, uh, one of the things that alcohol does also is it numbs your brain. In fact, I've, I've read that medical people say that alcohol uh, kills cells in your brain. That's why I never drank, because I need all the cells I've got up there. And I still have a hard time. <clears throat> but people, they'll find a substitute in, for Jesus. Some will turn to dope. Several years ago, I was asked to visit a young girl in the hospital. And uh, I went in, and, the, and she was in, in the bed there, and she was having hallucinations on the hospital bed. And she was screaming. She saw all kinds of monsters coming out of the ceiling and, and stuff like that. <clears throat> And, um, and and when I when when I spent some time there, and as as I was leaving, one of the family members followed me out in the hallway, and they said, "Preacher, if I if I could take every mother and father in this city into into this girl's hospital room, and they could watch her writhe and twist as if her body were lying naked on hot coals, there would not." be one parent in this city who would be soft on marijuana. She started out with just a little pot, ended up on LSD. Few people start with the hard stuff. They get into marijuana and on it goes. In an article in Time Magazine years ago, someone was stolen the benefits of marijuana. You know, back in the uh, 70s, you know, this kind of people were trying to make it popular. You know, you had the hippie movement. Some of you remember. And one of the one of the big things in the hippie movement was marijuana, smoking a marijuana, getting getting high on the marijuana. And um, it was they had had this article by this guy that was extolling the benefits of of uh, marijuana. Well, I would I would like to have shown some of the benefits. The people who 
whose lives have been wrecked because of it. People have come to me wanting off, off of, off of, wanting me to help them. And, and there were no good benefits associated with marijuana at all. Any, any substitute for Jesus is bad. They say, well, we're, you know, we're, having, we're not hurting anybody. You know, we're, we're just having harmless fun. And, and um, you know, we're, we're just, you know, we're just having a good time. But my friend, sin is never harmless. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. There is no substitute for Jesus. The rich young ruler also asked a question that he should have asked. He, had, he said, how do I get eternal life? How do I get saved? How do I go to heaven? The rich young ruler didn't come to Jesus asking secondary things. He came asking the most important question you'll ever have in your life, and that's the question, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Someone asked John Wesley how he found salvation apart from the Anglican Church. The, uh, in England, the Anglican Church, uh, over here they call it Methodist, but in England it's the Anglican. And uh, John Wesley became the, the founder, actually, of the Methodist Church. And he, he said the reason that, that he, he came to, uh, to Christ, that he found salvation... He said, I was on a ship one time during a terrible storm and some Moravian missionaries on board, they were not afraid. I noticed they were not afraid. He said, I was afraid. And they looked at me and they said, Mr. Wesley, why are you afraid? And I said, why are you not afraid? And they said, because we know Christ. Mr. Wesley, do you know Christ? When they looked at me and said that, I could only say, I know the church, I know the creeds, but I don't know Christ. But he, but through that, the testimony of those uh, Moravian missionaries, that he, he came to know Christ and then became the founder. He and his brother Charles were uh, actually the founders of the Methodist Church, and. Uh, and became, and both, they both, Charles was more of a songwriter and John more of a preacher, but they came, both came to know Christ because of that. The rich young ruler came to Jesus when a person ought to come. He came the way he ought to come. He came to the person he should come to, and he asked the question that he must ask. When Jesus gave him the answer, he went away sad. And he didn't do what Jesus said. The four good things he did, plus the one fact that when all was said and done, he refused to be obedient to Jesus, equals absolutely zero. Jesus didn't want him to give up all his money. That was not, that was not the point. He only wanted him to be willing to. Jesus wanted his trust. People don't need to fear what's going to happen when they, when they trust Jesus. Somehow, somehow some unbelievable, unbelievable ideas, some uh, untrue ideas about 
what's going to happen if they get saved? What, what kind of a problem is that going to present if they get saved? Jesus just wants us to trust him and place ourselves in his arms because he has, he has never dropped anybody. Once you come to the Lord and place in the arms of Jesus, he will never drop you. Him that cometh, into me, cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. So what about it today? Would you come to Jesus? Would you come to Jesus today? I'm going to ask you to stand, please. Your heads bowed. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the invitation time. I pray that you speak to every heart, to every need this morning. And if there is someone here in our audience that's never been saved, or perhaps someone watching online, I pray that they will, at this moment, turn to you for salvation, turn to you and ask for forgiveness of sins and trust you as our Lord and Savior. I pray that here in our audience, if there are those that need to be saved, they'll come this morning and let us take the Bible and show them they, how they can be saved, how, can, how they can know that they have eternal life and they can know that when they die, they'll go to heaven. So we ask you, Lord, to speak to those that are, that are lost. And then, Lord, if they're Christians that need to come rededicate their life, pray that you'll help them to come. If they're those that have any need whatsoever, I pray, Lord, they'll come today and have those needs met. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we sing a verse of invitation song, we invite you to come this morning. If God's spoken to your heart, would you come? Just as I am without one plea, sing anymore while the musicians continue to play. How about you this morning? Just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. How about it? Would you come this morning? Some are already here at the altar. How about you as we, as we listen to another stanza while we wait? Would you come?
All right, you can look up this way. We thank the Lord for these that did come this morning. Don't forget now, tonight after the evening service, we have our annual election of officers, and and uh, and then I want to meet with the deacons at 5 o'clock in my office. Teachers working a meeting at 540.